This is the World Bank's Infrastructure Podcast. In today's episode, we discuss how countries may reap the economic benefits of efficient and quality transportation and logistics. Everyone wants their goods to be delivered cheaply and as fast as possible. Those delivering your goods want to make as much money as possible while ensuring they capture and retain customers. The efficiency of businesses and their supply chains depends on the quality of infrastructure services that carry the goods from one place to another. As countries develop, transport services do too. 150 years ago, for example, rail and road services were under the protective wing of the United States government. In 1980, governments seeing vast inefficiencies in the two industries substantially deregulated both opening them to market competition. So what happened? Well, trucking services got cheaper and railroads saw higher returns to investment. Shippers and customers have gained roughly $20 billion a year in benefits. In today's world, we're increasingly dependent on transport logistics and seeking to improve it. Let's find out how to do it. Good morning and welcome. I am Rumin Islam, host of Tell Me How, and today I have as my guest Matthias Herrera Dappe, expert on transport economics, who will be enlightening us on how countries may support better transport infrastructure and services for growth, with a special focus on road transport. Welcome, Matthias. Thank you, Rumian. It's a pleasure to join you. It's a pleasure to have you with us. So, Matthias, historically, a physical connectivity between countries has been very important to their development. And so transportation costs and improvements have been, of course, an important determinant of how much countries can connect through trade. How would you say that has changed? So the first wave of globalization, that's between the 1870 and 1914, saw a major increase in international trade flows, largely attributed to the invention of the steamship. Today's wave of globalization, it's a bit different. So trade costs have gone down due to technological developments in transport, such as containerization, but also policy reforms, particularly tariff reductions under various international trade agreements. So according to the latest estimates by the World Bank, tariffs account for only about 7% of average trade costs today with the bulk of the trade costs related to transport and logistics activities and border and customs procedures. Okay, so that's very interesting. What you're saying is that the binding constraint, if I might put it that way, falls and rises depending on where the reform has been most concentrated. So that's interesting to know. So following from your uh, response, could you explain how to think about the role of the transport sector how should we think about the economics of it, the policies of the transport sector and influencing connectivity? Is it about looking at the quality of infrastructure investment or are there other factors? Connectivity is the extent flows of people and goods from a location can reach other locations, either directly or indirectly through other cities, other countries. And for this, you need two things, the transport infrastructure and the transport services. So not everyone has a vehicle or, let's say, a truck to transport goods. Uh, so infrastructure without the services will provide connectivity only to those who can afford a vehicle. 
what we look at when we assess the connectivity and the role of transport uh, in connectivity is to the availability of adequate transport infrastructure and competitive transport services. And when I say competitive, I'm referring to the price of the service and the quality of the service. We also look at any other constraints to seamless movement of goods, uh, such as some regulations and policies. For example, in India, and between India and Bangladesh, Indian trucks cannot enter Bangladesh, and Bangladeshi trucks cannot enter India. They are not allowed. Uh, so cargo needs to be transloaded at the border from one truck to another, what makes the whole process quite cumbersome. Yeah, there are these types of regulations um, uh, in many other places of the world. So if I hear you correctly, there are three main blocks in this uh, discussion. We can think about the infrastructure itself, the roads, ports, and rail lines, for example, the services provided on that basic infrastructure, and then the policies, regulation, or even market structure that, that affect the provision of services. Essentially, the final good is the transport service, and many things affect that. So you mentioned that both prices and quality matter um, in the provision of what you call competitive services. So can you speak to the quality aspects of these services and how that may hinder what you refer to as seamless connectivity? Yeah, sure. So, you know, shippers, the, the owner of a cargo, cares about the overall cost or the economic cost of moving goods from one location to another, from the origin to the destination. So that, that includes the price they pay for the transport service if they hire a, th part, a third party to provide that service or the cost of operating their own trucks, for example, and the quality of the service, which is usually measured in terms of the transport time, the reliability of that service, and also aspects that related to safety and security of the car. In the sense, you ship, you ship something, you want it to arrive in the same way that you ship it. The time and the reliability influence the decisions about inventory, for example, and therefore the opportunity cost of those goods that are being transported, they are being stored, that it, it's a cost, let's say, to, the, to a firm that produces some export goods. They also influence the decision about the supply chain, you know, where to locate a warehouse, where to locate a distribution center, where to locate a factory, the time that takes to move goods and the certainty around those times determines those decisions and so it has a cost in the operations of their business and therefore shippers care about those aspects too. It's not just how much you pay to a transportation company for moving uh, your car. Yes, that's well understood. I understood you. But what I would like a bit more clarity on is what do you mean by reliability? If I were to think of that in economic terms, how would I think about that? Could you give me some examples? Yes, but I mean, reliability, I mean, the, you know, the predictability of travel times, delivery times. So you might know that on average, going from one city to another, it takes 10 hours. So you can plan that even 10 hours, the moment you ship, you will have the goods delivered there. But if those could be instead of 10 hours, it could go from two hours to 20 hours and depending on you know, a host of factors, such as the quality of infrastructure, there's congestion on the road, you know, the transport carrier makes decisions that delay the shipment, or if it has to go through a, a port, how the port is operated and adds to uncertainty about those times, or there are, let's say, informal checkpoints on the road that can delay the cargo. 
So this is what, what I mean by reliability, you know, predictability. And to give an example, in Bangladesh, congestion and unreliability are quite important drivers of the cost of transport. Firms hold inventories in some sectors up to six months of inventories to cope with the delays and the unreliable deliveries. If they need to produce garments for export, they need to have the fabric there. So they need to have that buffer stock in case the deliveries uh, doesn't take place on time as they plan. So the most important point is that you can't really plan because you don't have consistent estimate for how long the delay would be, for example. So what are some of the key frictions that drive up the price and drive down the quality of freight transport services, apart from some of the things that you just mentioned about predictability? Would you like to go into this a bit more? So there are different factors that we see in South Asia and across the world. One main factor is the inadequate infrastructure. That is in terms of the stock of infrastructure, but also the quality of infrastructure. Inefficiency in the operation of infrastructure, for example, ports. Another important friction in some countries, such as West African countries, is that markets for transport and logistic services are distorted or don't work. For example, when a truck owner cannot negotiate directly with cargo owners, but have to go through inter- intermediaries. And here I want to emphasize, it have to go through. It's not that it's by choice. And those intermediaries end up setting the price, and the price the truck owner receives, or his volume of business, is independent of the quality of his service. It doesn't receive the incentives to provide better quality. A particular institution that will allocate the cargo to you no matter what you do, that distorts the whole market. So in a sense, it's removing these end barriers to access business. It's important to bring efficiency and to let the market really work. These uh, new technology firms that they are providing a matching between uh, cargo owners and, and trackers. That's right. The right? platform-based like, platforms yeah. like the business, yeah, uh, the, the Uber of uh, logistics, uh, Uber trucks, and others. That's right. We have many of those. Yes. yes. So in that case, first, it's trackers and cargo owners choose that service because, as I said before, it brings some efficiency. The price, yes, might be set by the by algorithm that try to match supply and demand, but also there is. Uh, the quality of the service, it's uh, rewarded. But there is a rating for those companies providing the service. So then you could decide if you will use only companies with certain ratings or the platform will drop those companies that don't reach to certain level of quality. So then the, there's an incentive to provide better quality, even if you don't influence per se the price in that sense. Well, another problem, and, and we'll get back to digitalization here too, probably, it's there's a large uh, share of trucks or vessels uh, traveling empty because of information asymmetries between the transport service providers and the cargo owners. And in some cases, because of cumbersome custom processes on entry barriers. So the information asymmetry can be solved through uh, these platforms that we just spoke. The issue is why some cases those platforms do not arrive, are not coming up in some countries. And then is the issue that, uh, as I said, some 
custom processes or entry barriers that allow, for example, the truck to drop cargo in a location, but they are not allowed to pick up cargo from that location. So therefore, they had to come back empty. Or some other restrictions that we've seen in terms of where distribution centers can be located, where container facilities can be located that you know leads to empty running trips and a large number of those or a large share of them. So the productivity of the, the tracking firms is much lower and they need to ha- uh, charge higher prices in order to be able to cover cost. Now, and let me go back to something you mentioned earlier, which is that customs clearance and how that may add to costs. So countries restrict border crossings through transport policies, not just tariffs, right? So why do they do that? Are they just another less transparent form of trade barrier or are there other reasons for doing this? It's both. So there can be technical reasons that they're not necessarily about protecting domestic services. For example, countries have different infrastructure design standards, uh, axle load limits, emission standards, and transport service standards in general, like in other service sectors. But to a large extent, these restrictions are still today to protect local transport industry. Thank you. There's been a lot written on, you know, investments that don't amount to anything, such as bridges and roads to nowhere. How should we think about transport investment? Because, you know, it's a very difficult thing to think about, actually. You know, these things take a long time to build and to bear fruit. So what do you say? Yeah, it's certainly a an important issue and a very difficult. You know, decisions about transport infrastructure investment need to be based on proper planning. That might sound obvious, but proper planning in the case of transport is not that simple. Transport infrastructure brings the most value when it's part of a network. So there are some network externalities, network benefits there. And building a network requires integrated planning and coordinated implementation. So... If one institution, and we see this to happen in some countries, if one institution is responsible for the road network and another for bridges, and the planning and execution is not done in an integrated and coordinated manner, then you can end up with a four-lane highway with a two-lane bridge in the middle. So with a very limited link that it's a bottleneck for the whole network. I've been on some of those. Yes, I think most of us have been on some of those that you don't know why they exist. <laughs> and yes. government, of course, need to create different institutions to manage different assets, but if they don't coordinate, it's when you have that problem. Integrated planning should also consider policies that influence the flow of the vehicles, uh, the flow of vehicles that is you know, the demand of infrastructure. So it's not just about thinking, where do we put the infrastructure, but it's about infrastructure needs to be used for And how can we influence the use of that infrastructure? If you have another institution responsible for policies, then there's no way you might end up with too much infrastructure or too little infrastructure. And planning should be based on robust demand analysis, which is not simple and there tends to be an over-optimism when demand estimations are done. We we are cognizant about that. This topic being studied a lot. But also the planning should be based on you know, transport modeling that consider all the economic impacts of infrastructure. It's not just about building to provide the capacity for the 
traffic that you are estimating will be there in the future, but the infrastructure that you put in place will influence the economic activity and therefore the demand for that infrastructure. So there's you know feedback loops that need to be considered so you don't end up with too much infrastructure or too little infrastructure, or as you said, infrastructure in places that it's not needed at all. Yeah, those feedback loops seem very complex to think about as well. And I'm wondering, are governments uniformly good at this type of planning? I mean, there are significant capacity differences between governments. And so I'm just wondering, can the private sector help? When and where might the private sector come in? So it varies a lot by country, by the capacity countries have. But integrated planning of the transport network has to be done by the government with inputs from many stakeholders, including the private sector. Governments can, and they do hire consulting firms and universities to help them with planning. But the planning decisions, the policy decisions, are made by the government. The private sector can bring efficiency gains in the construction and operation of the infrastructure, for example, through public-private partnerships. There's also, you can think that the market test could help differentiate profitable from unprofitable investment, but that is under certain conditions. And also, if the economic benefits cannot be monetized, then the market test will leave out investments that are beneficial for society. So we've been talking a lot about infrastructure and international commerce, and I'm wondering what's the relative importance of transport within countries versus across countries. You know, for example, uh, in many of our client countries, I'm just wondering whether there's enough built to connect countries within versus transport that connects countries to other countries. You know, I've read some recent research that's looked at how the road patterns in Africa seem to follow a pattern of radiating from points in the interior outwards for the purpose of exporting rather than connecting points in the interior. So what would you say about this? Yeah, I mean, that is a pattern on infrastructure that we see in many developing countries that comes from the, the colonial times, that infrastructure was built to extract resources. Uh, today, I mean, for some countries, international maritime shipping remains challenging and expensive. But for most countries, the challenge is to increase the efficiency of border crossings within country transport, which is mainly road transport. The cost of moving goods within countries are generally higher in developing countries than in the rest of the world. And this is especially true in, in much of Africa. It is difficult you know, to give an exact estimate of the size and implications of the existing transport cost in developing countries, especially in places where data is scarce, like in African countries, but really most developing countries would say data on transport costs is quite scarce. We are doing a study, we're just starting, that will shed light on, on this issue. I can tell you about recent research by uh, David Atkin and Dave Donaldson at MIT uh, that estimate the cost of transporting goods in a couple of sub-Saharan African countries, and they found that the cost of transporting goods within the countries could be up to five times higher in these countries, in Ethiopia and Nigeria, than in the U.S., and that's not only cannot be fully explained by the available infrastructure, the quality of infrastructure. So there is the issue of the, the reliability, the issue of the service, the markets, and, and other soft issues that increase the cost of transport. But it's beyond the, 
the available infrastructure. Yeah, I, I actually was quite surprised to learn that transporting goods within countries, goods and people, is is often so much higher than crossing borders as well. How do uh, different factors that hinder connectivity, how much do they cost us in terms of income and growth? Do you have any estimates? I mean, there are estimates for some uh, the factors. There tends to be more for infrastructure per se, related to infrastructure. The, the soft constraints are more difficult to estimate, the, the impact of them. I mean, in the case of Bangladesh and India, under what we call full integration, that is if trucks do not need to stop at the border between India and Bangladesh, and they can use any border post and roads in both countries, national income can increase by close to 17% in Bangladesh and 8% in India. That's based on some work that we just completed. In the Horn of Africa, improving regional corridors could increase income by 1% to 2 percentage points. And if border times are decreased, let's say by half, that can add another 3-4 percentage points because the constraint at the borders are, are quite high. And then if we are looking in that sense, economic gains from time savings, then it boils down to where the main frictions uh, slowing down the movement of freight are. For example, uh, research done by some of our colleagues in the, in the bank, they found that a one-day reduction in inland travel times in Africa could lead to a 7% increase in exports, which is about equivalent to a cut of 2 percentage points on importing country tariffs. And they found that this is more important than other time-related frictions, meaning frictions in ports and, and other borders, for example. Now, you know, we've been talking a lot about connecting across countries and infrastructure that changes the economics of the areas through which the new infrastructure and the services go, the transport services go through. So they change the opportunities uh, maybe there'll be gainers and losers from these changes. So I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about the internal income distribution impacts and whether, and I'm sure some of these are related to the increased trade that may have come about after, you know, you've built transport infrastructure and services. So could we speak a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, you know, an important insight that we got in the last few years is that spatial inequality, that's the difference in income based on where people live, it's quite important. Trade has affected people differently, not only because of the skills that they have, but because of where they are located. For example, Vietnam and Bangladesh have grown tremendously in the last few years, but in both countries, those areas that benefit the most were the more export-oriented areas which tend to be close to the port or the main city. In that sense, internal trade barriers distort the benefits of globalization and, and increased trade. It happens you know, as trade tariffs decrease and international transportation improves. The benefits from lower price and wider variety of goods may not accrue to all people equally. Right? With remote locations being the one that had a larger disadvantage, because of the international trade cost. And this can exacerbate regional inequalities. 
Yes, you know, the impact on spatial inequality is something that policymakers definitely would need to consider in their longer term planning. Um, All kinds of structural reforms or investments can obviously have consequences like these that are negative for some and positive for others. That was really enlightening as I thought it would be. So thank you, Matthias. But before we end, is there anything you would like to add to all that you've already told us? Thank you, Romain. This is a topic that I'm very passionate about. I just want to invite our listeners to read our recent studies on transport and trade, uh, one of them called Connecting to Thrive, and the other Moving Forward. They are all on the World Bank website, and they are full of uh, interesting insights. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sure that our listeners will read these very uh, promising texts. Thank you, Matthias. Thank you, Romain. Well, listeners, we learned a number of things today. Firstly, efficient transport networks within your own country and across the borders to others are the backbone of commerce. Complex supply chains depend on them, and they influence the spatial aspects of income growth. Secondly, transport infrastructure, like the road, and services, like the trucking services, Both need appropriate policy to support their efficient development and functioning. Good public investment planning for the sector and good project choice are needed, but so are private sector ideas, finance and implementation efficiency. Thirdly, transport service markets need a regulatory framework that promotes competition among providers to ensure that customers get the best price-quality combination possible and that the sector itself does well. Thank you and bye for now. You can find more information about the podcast on worldbank.org forward slash tell me how. If you've got questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can also find us on all popular podcasting platforms. This episode was recorded in July 2021. Don't forget to subscribe and thanks for listening. See you in two weeks.